Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is videocast number 36 and podcast episode 26 for the week ending June 26, 2020. And boy, was it a whirlwind week for sure. We're going to cover quite a bit of information, but as always, we're going to start with some of our media content because that's where we refine our ideas and, and put out our best bullets. And then we'll go down to the granularity to get through all the subjects for the week. So thanks for joining. I'm in a suit today because I had a nice segment with Greta Wall, which we'll cover in just a moment. Uh, but uh, let's go through them one by one. First, I had uh, Cheddar TV earlier this week, and I'd like to thank Brad Smith, Nora Ali, and Francesca Conti for having me on the show. And that was a, a very interesting uh, um, segment because we it was a day where there was a lot of negativity in the market, and I was talking about how, despite the fact that this is the most hated rally in history, it's also gonna close out as the best quarter for equities in over 20 years. So we uh, went through a bunch of the data, data continues to beat, and yet uh, one out of five people sold 100% of their equities uh, at the bottom. And as you go up in age, uh, it was closer to a third once you got up to about 60, 65 years old. Um, so we covered a lot of that data. We covered the institutional positioning, which we covered last week on the Global Fund Manager Survey. Uh, most people, only 18% of uh, participants felt that it was a V-shaped recovery, and 53% uh, felt that it was a bear market rally, and they've been forced into cash the most, uh, most forced out of cash from 5.7 down to 4.7. Uh, this is the biggest drop in cash they were forced in in the last month since August of 2009. And the parallels there, there are eerie. They had had a big 50% rally off the March 2009 lows. They had been forced in. They had to drop cash and we're in the same, same position here with some nuances now that we had a little pullback over this week, which we're going to cover in this week's podcast video cast. So... Um, we we covered banks we covered a, a lot of different things so what you want to do for the cheddar uh segment is, is you can click on featured on and watch it live again thank you to brad smith and Nora ali as well as francesca conti for having me on uh this week next was a quote in usa today one of royal caribbean subsidiaries was doing a reorganization in spain Pullmanter, and there were some rumors that they were going to scrap the ships or sell the ships, um, you know, or they may actually reopen to uh, take cruisers. And the quote that I was able to give to Morgan Hines, by the way, thank you for including me in your article in USA Today, lovely working with her, uh, was that you know, this this may be it's too early to tell really if this reorganization in the industry is going to be a one off or a trend. Uh, you did see a number of pushbacks in in the last few days. People thought they were going to re start sailing in July or August. And now it's September, October or November. The longer that takes, the harder it's going to be for some of the marginal players. So what does that mean long term? Very simple. In the short term, they'll all have to offer huge incentives like you saw with South Southwest Airlines uh, this week offering $39 flights domestically. 
you're going to see that in the cruise industry in the short term. But if more marginal players are reorged or scrapped and it takes supply and capacity, capacity offline, they're going to be money machines two years out because there'll be great demand, less supply. And I know everyone says, no, the demand's not going to come back. Just look at the demography. People love to cruise. Uh, you know, unlimited buffets. That's, you know, we love that in America. So um, uh, don't count them out. The, the key is how much supply will come off, how many more uh, Pullman tiers are there. And uh, it's, it's, it really is just too early to tell. So we'll find out. And then on the flip side, which we're going to cover today in great detail, is what happens if you wake up to a silver bullet? You know, there are hundreds of shots on goal, as Dr. Fauci always says, with a treatment. We'll talk about a couple of those. Or vaccine. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars of vaccines are being produced right now by companies who think they have it, but it has to be proved out. And they won't have the results till till you know the fourth quarter, but they're producing uh, at risk right now, and they wouldn't waste those millions of dollars, neither the government nor these businesses, if they didn't think there was a high probability or a good shot that it would go to market. So uh, a lot of things happening, and that certainly wasn't the narrative this week. The narrative this week was cases are going up, uh, and we'll talk about the implications of that uh, next. So. Um, Again, to thank Morgan Hines from the USA Today for including me in that article about cruising. Uh, Reuters, uh, there was an article early in the week. I want to thank Devik Jane, Medicine, and Powell Goraj for quoting me there. And, you know, they, I was just basically saying there's a lot of money on the sidelines still. And as the country reopens slowly and, you know, fits and starts, we had it this week for sure. We had the fit. Um, that money's going to be forced back into the market. Could you imagine if you're nearing retirement and you sold, you were one of the 30% in your late 50s, early 60s that sold at the bottom, and then the market continues to climb? I mean, how do you make that back after missing 35, 40%? You know, by the time you wait for the data to be good enough or you wait for the vaccine to be there, so that money's going to have to get back involved. And as people become clearer and clearer that there's no retest of the lows, then um, it, it is going to get forced in. And we're going to talk about that in the context of actually what happened in 1918. Um, one of my poker buddies, you know, uh, who shares a different political belief than I do, uh, said that something like 500 million people died from, you know, in 1918. It wasn't that. It was 687,000 in the United States. Um, which is orders of magnitude greater than what we have on a much smaller population at the time. And we'll talk about a little bit about what happened to the stock market, despite having six times as many deaths on a dramatically smaller population. Uh, once the lows were in, they were in. So um, that may bode well moving forward. So thank you to Devik, Meta, and Powell for including me in your Reuters article this week. And I just got off um with um uh, uh one american news network greta wall wall to wall with greta wall great show and she had me on to discuss uh the first part of this was a lot of the data so i went through like seven or eight points of data that's beating uh well beyond expectations uh sequential improvement etc and then we talked a lot about one of the things that threw the market off today 
was this perception about the stress test. And we're gonna, you know, if you know me, I like banks. And we're gonna talk about what that means going forward. And I was gonna cover it extensively in the Videocast podcast, uh, but it was so packaged in my segment with Greta. She asked great questions that I wanna actually play the clip and then we can go from there. Uh, I'm not gonna play the whole clip. You can go through that again on Featured On at hedgefundtips.com, it'll be right there. But since she sent it right away, I wanna use this because this will be a great jumping off point for the Videocast podcast um, halfway through the segment here. So take a listen. 22.3, is a leading indicator was up 15.8% versus negative 18% last month. And manufacturing PMI, we're getting close to expansion at 49.6 versus 39.8. And new home sales was up 16.6% versus negative 5.2%. So the data is overwhelmingly good. It's improving, uh, it's mostly beating expectations. This is just a short-term concern that we're gonna see in fits and starts with different areas having uh, spikes in cases. And what you see, Greta, when, when the, there are those spikes in cases is people get worried about slower growth. And that's kind of what you've seen in the last couple of weeks. In a slower growth environment, people gravitate towards tech stocks because they expect rates will stay lower and that's where you're gonna get the price appreciation versus when things look like they're going to come out quickly, come out of the recession quickly, like we saw last month, cyclical performance. And uh, right now, we're at a really interesting inflection point. The ratio between growth stocks and value stocks is at historic highs right now, relative strength of growth outperforming value. And the last handful of times that this happened, 2015, 2007, 
But the theme of last night's results was that the banks, by and large, were more than capitalized in a very se severe scenario, which we have not seen. And what you're going to see on Monday, as you pointed out, is a more granularity on a bank-by-bank -bank basis. And we'll see that most of these banks do not have to raise capital, number one. And number two, even the two, three banks out of the whole lot that have to cut their dividends a little bit. You know, you take a Wells Fargo, people are saying, well, they might have to cut their dividend. That's not news. So their dividend right now is yielding 7.35%. Even if they cut it in half, which I don't, I don't think it will be that extreme, you're still yielding well above the 10-year yield. You're trading at or uh, to a slight discount of book value. And these are going to be the type of stocks that lead us out of, out of the recoveries. The health of the recovery is equivalent to the health of banks. And you see that coming out of every single recession. And this time will be no different. All right. Thomas Hayes, chairman of Great Health Capital LLC, joining us to talk about Wall Street and the pandemic. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Greta. Okay, so I'm glad we uh, went through that. That's going to save us a lot of time in uh, the detail. And as we talked about in that clip, uh, the Fed did put a cap. You know, as they say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Well, um, the the Fed, and this is Randy Quarles. Uh, Randy is a he's the vice chairman of uh, bank supervision. And I actually met Randy. We were at Foster Freeze's place in Jackson, Wyoming. I went. He was on my white water raft with me during that event. Uh, super guy, about a decade uh, ago now, and now he's he's doing this. And he's just the perfect guy for the job because what they did is people almost confused cap with cut. He effectively said, "Look, you take the last four quarters of earnings average." And once you get that average quarterly number, don't pay a, a quarterly dividend that's higher than that average. That's completely rational. And what he's basically saying is don't spend more than you earn uh, or don't distribute more than you, you earn is, is uh, a more effective way to put it. But the key here is that banks are healthy enough to withstand the worst of the coronavirus crisis, which actually hasn't even uh, come to bear at present. So they're extremely well capitalized. They did voluntary buyback uh, um, uh, cuts, and they're going to continue those. But the way you can think about this is if I have a basketball and I'm pumping it up with air, okay? So the basketball is the bank stock and the air is the earnings, okay? If I keep pumping it up with air and I never let any of the air out, the earnings out in the form of distributions, meaning dividends, uh, that ball is going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, meaning the intrinsic value of those earnings are accruing inside the stock price. So in some sense, every time I pay out a distribution, the retained earnings go down and the shareholder equity is reduced. So in some sense, paying less dividends should, in effect, lead to more price appreciation. Now, the other side of the argument is many people own bank stocks for high dividends. Well, 7.35% dividend on a, a traditional bank is very high. And you know, even if they shave that down in the case of Wells Fargo, you're talking three and a half, that's well dramatically above the 10 year yield. And so just keep in mind, you are the owner, whether it's distributed as a dividend or retained in the company, you still own that interest in the company. 
And if it stays in the company, that leads to price appreciation, the intrinsic value. If it's distributed out, you get it in cash today. But either way you get it, it's more tax efficient if they don't pay it out, like Amazon doesn't pay any dividends and you see what happens to the price. So maybe this will lead to something good moving forward. If you want dividend, big dividends from banks, buy their preferred. If you want price appreciation, which they're well overdue for coming out of this recession, um, you know, you'll buy the common equity, which will retain more of the capital. Certainly in the short term, they're now mandated to, but maybe in the intermediate term, they'll find this is a good thing because we can earn a high return on equity, particularly when, uh, which we've discussed in recent weeks, when the yield curve steepens, the 210 yield curve steepens this dramatically in such a short period of time coming out of a recession. The last two times that the yield curve has steepened this quickly as it has in the last month and a half was 2009 and 2003. And both of those instances uh, led to multi, multi-year massive rallies in banks and financials, and this time will be no different. Do we go a little lower before we go higher? I don't know, but uh, I can tell you one thing, we were adding this week, that's for darn sure. This is uh, a cyclical opportunity, in, and you buy the highest quality, and you don't even think about it. And, and that's actually one of the things I wanted to, well, we'll talk about patience in a second, but that's uh, Randy, I think he is the perfect person. So the Lord taketh away, but also the Lord giveth. And what they did this week was uh, they're loosening up the Volcker rule. So, you know, I made the, the somewhat of a off-the-cuff tweet uh, after the thing, after the stress test results. I said, food for thought. The Fed made the right decision to put a short-term cap on what banks can pay out. It did not put a cap on what banks can earn. Intrinsic value will continue to accrue to shareholders to be paid over time. Dodd-Frank restricted earnings, but now is being loosened up. And this week, we got a taste of that, which is going to free up $40 billion of capital for Wall Street banks. Uh, it's called, it's a reversal of the inter-affiliate margin requirement for swap trades uh, that they expect to free up to $40 billion for Wall Street banks. Uh, and they're able to invest in venture capital. If you remember that they were able to trade the firm's capital, well, now they can't do that, but they can invest in venture capital funds. So a fund that owns, you know, five startups, you know, they're not startups anymore, but, you know, think back five years, today's version of, you know, Uber, Airbnb, that type of stuff. They can own that so they can earn outsized gains on, um, fast-growing companies that they have an edge because they have a banking relationship with and they know, have a better idea of who might be the winners, et cetera. So that's um, the push-pull. Everyone's talking about cuts and caps, which makes no difference because what matters is earnings power. And that's a function of the yield curves. It's a function of the PPP, which we're gonna see. Uh, the PPP fees were probably $20 billion in Q2 for that, that program. They got one to 5% origination fees. No one's talking about that. That's going to offset a tremendous amount of the um, credit reserves that they're taking for a normal recession. You get certain credit card defaults and, uh, you know, leeway on the mortgages, et cetera. So a lot of good things happen. We'll get more granularity, as I said, on Greta Wall show. By the way, thank you to Greta Wall and Lindsay Oakley for having me on the show today. Uh, wall to Wall with Greta Wall. Definitely check that out. And... Um, so now moving on, what's happening to the market? 
In the first 35 days off the March lows, we rallied 35%, okay? And that was just a huge move. And based on the active investment managers and a few other indicators we look at, uh, most institutional managers missed it. A lot of retail people caught it. So that made Wall Street angry. They say, oh, those dumb retail people, but they actually got it this time. And since then, okay, you've seen the institution, once you hit that, then the institutions have started moving in. And guess what happened in the last 60 days? Uh, the market has gone now effectively nowhere. So you had this rally up to 29.54. We closed probably around uh, 3,000 today. Um, so you've had two months of sideways. This is very common out of a, um, a recovery rally out of a recession, you get that steep V and then you consolidate, digest the gains, get your pullback, scare everyone into thinking you're going out to take the lows and, um, and that's when you can, you can move higher. So um, the quote that I wanted to get to was the Warren Buffett quote, which this is a perfect micro instance of that, which is the market doing nothing and, and most people chased so they missed all this bought up here and then every time you got a pullback they got shaken out then it went up it went back they missed it then they bought up here they got shaken out then they missed it they bought up here they got shaken out so this is just normal human behavior of what happens and regardless of what the headline is it's you know it always looks the same there's always a new headline to fill the problem um and this week it was the case spikes, which, by the way, um, we're, we'll we'll talk about that. But the case spikes, you know, you're seeing the average age go, go from 65 down to 35. The way I think about this is, number one, I think people should wear masks when they go out in public and um, are in crowded places. That's just me. We'll talk about why. And that's not a political thing. That's just what they did in 1918. And it's just the weaponry that we have in place. Our weaponry is going to get extremely more effective in the next three months and hopefully much sooner. We're going to get a silver bullet treatment or we're going to get a vaccine. I'm very confident in that, not betting against science. Uh, but in the meantime, the only weapon we have, if we want to be warriors and if we want to be patriots, the only way we can do that is to starve the virus by not giving it hosts. And that doesn't mean we stay indoors, you know, hiding in the closet under an Afghan. What we do is we go about our business like full, full tilt, unless you're really high risk. You do everything that you would normally do, except you wear a mask when you're in public. And if we had 330 million people minus the people that are high risk, so call it 270 million people, doing that, getting out, doing the things that they need to do. If you can do things by Zoom or work remotely, do it. But um, wearing masks, not only would we crank the GDP, get millions of people back to work, but we would starve the virus because if it wasn't able to penetrate and get more hosts that could spread it, it eventually just dies. That's the weaponry we have. And as warriors and patriots, that's the best thing we can do for the country, for GDP, for everything. So that's, that's an aside. Um, okay, quote of the day, the, the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. And this is where you earn your money. When you get impatient and make uh, unwise short-term decisions, getting shaken out of high-quality positions for the long term. And if you miss your opportunity down here and you're not taking some advantage of what's up here and those companies that are still in this range, like the cyclicals, 
for the long term coming out of recessions. Um, you know, it's it, it's understandable if you miss this. It won't be understandable if you miss this opportunity when you look back two years from now, because it'll have been so obvious that we would recover, we would eventually get a treatment. And uh, in the meantime, we would just push through it. I mean, China doesn't have any silver bullet and their numbers are phenomenal because they're three months behind us. Um, and there are many examples of that. So onto the article of the week, we've covered a lot of it so we can uh, get to it. So I write these on Wednesday night, I post them out on Thursday morning. The market sold off huge on Wednesday, and I was talking about why the case spiked in the in those regions. Um, again, lower lower uh, ages. What, what's effectively happening while we wait for a treatment is we're getting mass exposure with low cost. And what do I mean by low cost? While the cases are going through the roof, the deaths are not at, at present. This doesn't mean go out without a mask. I just talked about masks. But it does mean that we're going to have, the, in a sense, the best of both worlds, where we'll have more of society potentially immune. More people will start to follow what we've been doing in the Northeast because we got hit the hardest in the tri-state area. So when you lose a lot of people, friends and family and friends of friends and family, you take things differently. So these states that are just getting hit now, they haven't experienced it. So they don't see the incentive to wear a mask just as we didn't in the beginning, which is why our cases went through the roof. Once we saw people dying, we put on our masks and guess what? Our case count has dropped through the floor in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And that's odd when you consider in New York how close people are together in New York City it's just following these simple things to beat the invisible enemy. That's how you crush it. You starve it to death. When you don't have the weaponry in conventional war, it's you know guns, planes, uh, bombs, etc. Here, we just have to starve it with masks and not get, allow it to get new hosts. That's what we've done in the tri-state area. And I think as these new spikes in cases show some deaths, although the treatment has gotten so good, that um, less people are dying from it and the age is lower, so those people have lower lower morbidity rates. Um, hopefully people will, will wear masks and simultaneously, you have other things happening with the drugs which we're gonna talk about that we might get the silver bullet beforehand and just when we're getting used to the mask and winning and going out and doing our business and being, you know, getting things done, we'll have the silver bullet and then we won't even need masks once we have that. But, uh, you know, the scientists will let us know when, when we're at that point. We're not there yet. Right now, we got to use the weapon that we have. Um, so the case is spiked. The U.S. was going to put tariffs on the EU to uh, make the Boeing Airbus playing field more level. So they were taxing us. We were going to tax them. Markets don't like that. Uh, IMF downgraded the global growth rate from negative 3 to negative 4.9. Uh, that's, you know, the IMF would be the last place I'd ever want to go for a dinner party. I don't think they've ever made a positive revision in the history of their existence before the fact. They're just historically negative and conservative, which is fine. That's, you know, their job, I guess, is to be conservative. Um, but, you know, in the case of the U.S., they're down to negative 8% for 2020, which is about $1.6 give or take $1.65. Uh, we're now, which we're going to talk about with uh, money supply and stimulus aid and liquidity, we're going to be probably closer to 
10 or 15 trillion dollars to offset a less than two trillion dollar problem so as we get them as we are warriors and we kill the invisible enemy by starving the hell out of it with our masks until we get a silver bullet in the form of a treatment or vaccine um we've got the stimulus aid and liquidity to handle the economy so that was what brought the market down and it reverberated all week so monday the futures were down when i did the article with devic um and meta uh then wednesday we had the same problem the market sold off and then today we had the bank people worried about the banks and they were worried a lot about the uh, case spikes as well even though the deaths are declining and you know people are saying well no the deaths will show up in 14 days and i yeah you'll see some deaths by the way there's you're going to see a spike in deaths that's because new jersey put a ton of um deaths on the books that they that were backdated from like since december anyone who died uh that had like a flu-like symptom they put into deaths and most people know that so they're not taking that death spike seriously um but we'll see with these spiked regions I, my guess is deaths will continue to come down because of the age of these new cases is much lower the treatment ability of hospitals the knowledge of doctors uh has gone up dramatically we know so much more in less uh now than we did 60 to 90 days ago um but that's that so what i loved about this article the luke combs when it rains it pours stock market I named all these bad things that were happening, you know, and then New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut said, okay, any states that have spikes, if you want to come to New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut, you got to sit in quarantine for 14 days, and the market went crazy, didn't like that. Well, we did it to them. Uh, I, I mean, you know, they did it They did it to us, we did it to them. They did it, you know, if you were from New York and you went to Florida, you had to wait for 14 days. Now, if you're coming from Florida back to New York, you got to wait 14 days. You know, it's just the way it is. Um, and then the other thing that's actually a factor, though, that you have to keep an eye on from an economic perspective. I don't care about politically or socially. Everyone has different views. It, it's awesome. Whatever view, your views are, this is a, mar a markets podcast. We don't care about uh, views. But from an economic perspective, the market is afraid of a blue wave or a blue administration at the very least, but certainly a blue wave. And the polls have been weak as of late. Now, if you're on the Republican side, you say if there's ever a time for weak polls, get them done now so that you can you know, turn your momentum and ride it into the election. So the market is somewhat hopeful that maybe there will be a turnaround. Why is the market worried about a blue administration, Democratic administration and or House and Senate is because they've made it clear that they want to raise taxes. If you raise taxes, you lower earnings. If you lower earnings, you probably lower not only the price of stocks and assets, you lower the multiple because growth will be slower. So it can have a compounding effect. Now you can say, well, it's the responsible thing to do. We got to pay for all this stuff. I, I'm not going to debate you either way. I'm just going to say that the market would prefer a, the stock market would prefer a uh, low taxes, lower regulation. Socially, all the other stuff, it's an open debate. But what the market wants in terms of earnings, it fears that possibility, which is showing up in the polls. It's early, but it's, it's, uh, it's a short-term trend that uh, the market is being watchful of, and we will continue to do that. Historically, the best case scenario is a gridlocked political environment. So if you got a Democratic president, you'd have either the House or the Senate would be Republican. 
if you got a Republican president, either the House or the Senate would be, um, you know, it's basically you have a check, check and balance. The biggest risk is if you get all Democrat, you know, House, Senate, President, all, or all Republican, House, Senate, Congress, and that's problematic. So the, the most bullish scenario is a hedge check and balance. It's effectively gridlock, so they can't get, you know, last thing you really want politicians to do is actually get too much done because just let business do what they need to do and stay out of the way is generally a helpful thing, not, you know, Wild West cowboys because that can lead to excesses, but uh, generally, you know, business knows how to, how to do what they do and uh, uh, that's a good thing. So gridlock is not a bad thing in Washington and the market's saying, what if it, there's no gridlock, what could happen? And that that's putting some heft to the market this week. Um, okay, so basically Luke Combs is in this video. You should definitely check it out. It, it, you know, it's a typical country song. And, you know, if you've been watching this for a while, you know, I like country. The guy, you know, he didn't lose his dog, but he, he you know, he he wakes up. He has had a party. There's a, you know, hangover. His girlfriend comes in and angry and she walks out of the house and he's and he's feeling like down on his luck. He's lost everything. He's in bad shape. And it's at that moment that his luck changes instantly. Uh, he talks about walking, you know, he goes for a drive, he buys a scratch off lotto ticket that she always said was a waste and he wins from that. And then he, you know, buys his six pack. I mean, it's amazing. These country songs are always about, you know, six packs and tequila and all that stuff. I, I, you know, that's not the answer, you know, for anything, but anyway, he's having a good time. And then, um, you know, he calls in a radio station, he wins this vacation to Panama, and he doesn't have to see his uh, ex-future and mother-in-law anymore, and, uh, you know, meets a new girl at uh, the local restaurant, and she goes on the free vacation. So just when his, all of his, he thought all of his luck had ran out, so just like we had this week, cases spike, blue wave, uh, tariff fighting, global downgrades, all these things happen, something happens to, to change the luck, the stress test, something happens. And whether that's gonna be a silver bullet, don't bet against science. Um, you know, we have two things that came out this weekend. One is Gilead is gonna start testing the inhaled version. You know, the thing about remdesivir, it's pretty clear now that it has a benefit, but the problem was you have to be in the hospital and it has to be um, administered by needle, I believe. So, you know, it's like, Am I going to go to a baseball game without a mask and not worry if I get COVID, I'll just go to the emergency room and get a needle? I'm not going to take that risk. But if there's an inhaled thing, if you get sick and you don't have to go to the hospital, that's a good thing. I'm not saying this is the silver bullet at all. I don't know. I know there are hundreds, as they say, hundreds of shots on goal, and a lot of them are very promising. I do know the concierge doctors in the tri-state area that are winning are still giving uh, ivermectin. I don't, I don't have enough data on that other than anecdotal, but there are a lot of things happening that are reflective of the lower death counts in addition to age declining, in addition to new knowledge, in addition to rolling people over and that type of thing. And we've seen all the, the news headlines. Uh, treatments are getting better and better, but there's gonna come a day when we wake up and hopefully sooner than later where they're gonna say, we got something that works and roll it out you know, instantaneously. The other thing that we saw was that steroid in Portugal 
uh, and also Britain, that's just been phenomenal for severe cases. That's why the death rate they believe is so low in Portugal, um, where we actually just bought land there last year um, in Algarve. So we're excited about that. But uh, their death rate is, is extremely low. Uh, and this steroid, I guess, will start to be used in our treatment for severe, for severe person. We need something like when your fever spikes up, you take a pill and it knocks it out. And hopefully that'll be coming sooner than later. Then we can go to baseball games, hockey games, concerts, the whole story and, and rock and roll. And then we'll have a vaccine and then, you know, the mask, we can have a mask burning party, uh, hopefully the end of the year or early next year. Um, so... You know, I talked a lot about that on Cheddar. You can go through that. And what I'm pointing to here is just as Luke in the video thought that his girlfriend leaving him was gonna ruin his life, um, it turned out to be the inflection point where his life changed. And similarly, most people think COVID's gonna destroy the economy. And similarly, it may prove to be the best thing that ever happened for growth moving forward. What do I mean by that? Well, the negative narrative last year when we were going sideways, um, last year and a half rather, um, was that monetary policy is ineffective, it's pushing on a string, and if we don't get people globally doing fiscal policy on a large scale, we're gonna have stagnant growth. Well, this has brought more COVID and that emergency of COVID has brought more fiscal stimulus to bear in a shorter time than has ever happened in the history of the world. You know, uh, it was 12% of global GDP, it's now probably more, and it's concentrated in the developed markets. And the big holdout for years and years and years because of their history was Germany. Uh, and they're the ones that are just cranking it out at 34% uh, of GDP, Italy cranking it, UK, Japan, uh, US, you know, we're doing a lot, but uh, we, we can do more. And by the way, we're going to get another stimulus package. President Trump was talking, supports very generous coronavirus stimulus package, meaning uh, they want to do, ideally in July, up to 40% infrastructure. And they want to do potentially another stimulus check for the people that need it the most. The checks they sent out, I believe, were $1,200 an adult and $500 for a child. So that would be, you know, 3,400 or so for a family of four at the lower income level. So those checks are really helping and you're seeing it in uh, Robinhood accounts, okay, <laughs> when some of it went there, but you're also seeing it in bank account savings. So as demand's coming back, people have so much money to go out to do things. Uh, some are spending it online, et cetera, but, um, if we got another trillion, that's really going to bump things up. Probably going to be all that we need in terms of a final bridge until the economy just starts humming and money supply. Um, we get the money su supply multiplier effect, which we're going to talk about. So um, there's the fiscal stimulus. We would have never had that. Second thing is the M2 money supply stock. Um, the Fed increased their balance sheet about 3.6 trillion in the last crisis. It the money supply increase alongside that, it was about double multiplier effect. So they 
um, increased the balance sheet by 3.6, but the money supply effect was, was about $6.5 trillion, and that helped us recover the last time. We've already done about $3 trillion in the balance sheet this time, just in the first couple of months. And so if you add that with all the stimulus aid and liquidity that we've covered in previous weeks, you're looking at, you know, 10 to 15 trillion dollars of money circulating in the economy. <laughs> Demand is coming back. Yeah, fits and starts. We saw it in Texas. They got to close the bars or, you know, reduce the large crowds from 500 to 100. Same with Florida, etc. I don't want to belabor that issue. So, yeah, that'll happen. But by and large, demand is increasing. The Northeast, our cases are plummeting. We are going out more. We are wearing masks when we go out because we saw how many people can die if you don't wear masks. And uh, we're able to do a ton of business now because we're doing it the right way. So uh, I think the whole... Oh, by the way, the other thing uh, Stephanie Link put out, which was really interesting, the five states that are having the biggest spikes that are slowing down their reopening are only 16% of GDP. The big GDP, tri-state area, parts of California, et cetera, um, they are the ones that are reopening and cranking and their cases are going down. So particularly in the Northeast, and that's the biggest part of GDP. So um, while they're slowing in 16% of GDP, they are accelerating in you know greater than 50% of GDP. And that, that's a good thing as well. Um, but this week we were focused on what's wrong versus what, what's right. That can shift on a dime. Um, credit issuance, uh, you know, the high yield issuance to date, this is a nice table that was posted, I guess, by the Wall Street Journal through someone on Twitter, at Sober Look. I guess they post a lot and they get recirculated. So I'll have to check out this handle and see what kind of charts they put out. Um, so basically, year to date, you look at the issuance as of June 17th of the past years, we're at three, almost four times last year, uh, seven times, you know, and had the Fed not stepped in, the credit markets would have been closed and we would have seen bankruptcies and defaults left and right. Instead, what these companies have done has built an amazing war chest to get through this short-term contraction and they're well liquefied. Obviously, the marginal players are, you know, they're going to be bankruptcies, the small players that can't access the capital markets, but a lot of high yield issue. And so marginal players are getting funded to get them through and they're going to have all that dry powder to go to work. M&A game will be on very, very shortly. So uh, that that's good to see. No one would have expected this on March 23rd, the, the ability of companies to lend money to get through the short term shutdown. Um, and that's attributable to the administration, Mnuchin, and um, Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell have done a phenomenal job acting ahead of the curve to get the liquidity, stimulus, and aid before the plate crashed all over the floor. They saw it falling, they put down the trampoline, and it saved the country. We're going to deal with these spike ups. We flatten the curve so we have capacity in the hospitals if we do get these flare ups. It will be dealt with, but don't count out a silver bullet weaponry for our war against the invisible enemy. It is on its way, and in the meantime, we have the mass when we go out of public, starve the hell out of the virus, let it die on its own in the meantime. Um, cases versus deaths we already, already covered. 
and why that's happened. So we have here um, a couple pictures from 1918. And it's interesting, if we could get buy-in, you know, as I said, they lost 678,000 people in 1918, and yet the stock market corrected 33% and it never retested. But guess what it did do? Exactly what we're seeing now. You had that huge rally up, and then you had this chop, sideways chop, before it took the next leg higher. And you had the huge rally up, sideways chop, until it took the next leg higher. So I think this is going to be in, you know, in 1918 to 1919, it took a year, year and a half. I think this is going to be dramatically compressed because there was nowhere to get to, back to new highs. There was nowhere, we already did it in NASDAQ, nowhere near the amount of Fed and um, Treasury and global coordination or information available at that time to compress it. So uh, this could be done in the famous warp speed, uh, that this type of recovery. But this is, you know, this is kind of what we've been doing and that makes a lot of sense and that's why you get paid for patience. Uh, stock market is a device to transfer money from the impatient to the patient. And I'm sure there are a ton of people that, not, you know, sold here, sold here, sold here, sold here, definitely sold here. They were going back down and they missed all of this. And you can never get those 50 to 100% moves back. You just can't. Um, so consider ourselves lucky on weeks like this when we get to add franchises like a Wells Fargo, like banks, uh, you know, like these companies that are still down materially from their peaks and that over time will make new highs and will make people fortunes for buying high quality and just sticking with it through this patience, through this fear, through these headlines, through this nonsense, through time, you know, seeing other high flyers pass you up, but in the long term, boom. So um, this would be really nice if we got to a situation where we could get everyone on board with this war against the invisible enemy and 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 understand that our weapon at the moment is the mask to starve the hell out of the virus, we can have baseball games again. Look at these look at these people sitting so close together. I don't know if that's the answer. I'll leave the scientists to debate that. But they did okay considering they had basically no information back then. Uh, look at this, a boxing mask. They're all sitting there with masks. Uh, I think even one of the boxers is wearing a mask. The ref, what, uh, he's not following directions. But look at all these people. They're wearing their mask and they're able to go out and do these things. I mean, I'd go to a live concert if they said you have to wear if they said everyone in the concert has to wear a mask to get in the door, just like you have to check your bag, you have to wear a mask. I'd go to a concert tomorrow. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, I would 100 percent do that if everyone in the place had to wear a mask and I'd stand right next to them. No, no problem here. But everyone would have to wear a mask. That's my that's my view. Um, yours may be different, scientists may be different, but I think that would change a lot and bring a ton of business to bear and probably in some sense accelerate um, levels of herd immunity because the virus, there was a note out by uh, one of the major banks, I think it was Jeffries, but the analyst said that the case spiking is a positive because it's weakening the virus. There was some argument that he had and he had some science I, di I didn't get to study it because i had a lot going on today but if that's true 
you know, even if it gets through some of the mass, but more people are exposed to a lesser virulency, uh, maybe that, that also helps with on the herd type of thesis. I don't know, but I know masks don't hurt. That's all I can say. And let's, let's just, uh, let's crush this thing. Um, now, onto the shorter term view is the sentiment was at an extreme level of pessimism this week, 24% bullish, 49% bearish. Historically, it pays you to be a buyer at these levels. Buyer, 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 buyer. You know, you look here, you can just trace it yourself. It pays to buy around the low 20s uh, um, versus being a seller. It pays to sell when you're well above the 50s on the bullish. So, well, no, it it's an easier bet on the contra buy signals than it is on the overbought because overbought can just keep pushing higher and we may see that coming out of this rally you know this sentiment will get up to 50 and the market will just keep going that that can happen but we're nowhere near and we're nowhere near on the cnn fear and greed you know we got to zero effectively in march but we have not gotten anywhere near euphoria it only came in at 47 it's probably lower today um, you know, at 80, 90, 100, I'd start to trim, I, you know, in the short term, not in my long term holding, but I definitely start to trim where there's euphoria. We're, we're nowhere close. So you get got to just get back to the transferring mechanism that the stock market is transfers money from the impatient people that can't wait it out to get to euphoric levels to lay it off to the people who are getting excited at the short term top um, to the patient people who can stick through these type of headlines stick through two months of sideways zero progress in the market and win and use these pullbacks to buy high quality stocks for the long term. Uh, National Association of Active Investment Managers was up uh, this week, but this prints only once a week. So my guess is it's back down to 70 after Wednesdays and Fridays. We'll take a look at that for next week. And, um, you know, I talked a lot about banks here for the message of the week. I still am of that view. And I think as it settles out, sometimes like you see a bad energy report and energy sells off and then a day later it's up or Jerome Powell talks on a Wednesday and the market goes down and then by Friday the market's rallying. I think we're going to have a similar thing. Certainly Monday night, greater granularity of the stress test, allowing people to uh, digest and comment on it over the week. Hopefully this helps people understand that you know, just because they can't pay it out, you as the owner, that intrinsic value is still accruing in that basketball. They're, they're still yours. What's the difference if they pay it to you today or, you know, in six months, you know, that air, the earnings is still there making the, the pie bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, uh, I think that's going to be a very positive thing. And I just closed out saying, I wish you in the market a Luke Combs style happy outcome. Uh, after a tough couple months for the country, you know, fighting the virus, fighting the invisible enemy. And we will prevail, prevail quickly if we take all the necessary actions to win with the weapons we have. And I think we're going to be surprised with how quickly we get, quote, unquote, weapon of mass destruction against our enemy, the virus, which would be a silver bullet treatment would be the best and followed by a vaccine that works, which uh, even the most pessimistic people believe will happen by early 2021. And the most optimistic people think it'll happen by Q4 2020. So uh, to be determined. Next, we want to cover um, 
this was very interesting, and I covered this in Greta's segment. This is the, and this is Sentiment Trader at Sentiment Trader. They put out some good stuff. Um, follow them on Twitter if you're on Twitter. Every time the value, growth to value ratios, 14 month RSI is at these levels, we're seeing what happens. You get a reverse reversal, meaning value, i.e. cyclicals, start to outperform growth, i.e. tech. So if you look at this spot, and you'll see the years, like I discussed on Greta's thing, are all slowdown years or recession years, and that's when cyclicals outperform. It's just part of the cycle that they outperform. So uh, here, to be determined, this is extended, and usually the more extended it gets, the bigger the reversal. Uh, here, it wasn't as extended, but you got the reversal into value and cyclicals. Here, same thing, reversal from growth. Here, huge reversal because you had a huge extension. Huge extension, probably a bigger reversal. We'll see. It can get more extended before it reverses. But, you know, this is the ratio, okay? This is the ratio that things start to change. 1987, remember, recession. Early 90s, remember, recession. Uh, early 2000s, remember, recession. Early uh, 2008, re recession. That's when cyclicals outperform coming out. That's the recovery. That's why banks are so important for the recovery. That's why the Fed works to steepen the yield curve. That's why banks went crazy the last time the yield curve ste steepened this much in 2009 and 2003, multi-year rallies uh, after the steepening, which we've just had. So uh, this is a great chart. Uh, check them out at Sentiment Trader. The next is... Um, Number nine, economic data that I covered. I didn't go through on Greta's call. I'm gonna just, I'm not gonna go through all of them. Rig, rig counts came down just a little bit this week. Again, they're down some 90% from the peak in 2014. All that supply coming off, no major investment in the last five years. The next three to five years, you're gonna see these oil companies cook. The next three to five days, I, I have no idea. But um, that is good news and we covered personal personal spending was up 8.2%. Consumer sentiment was at 78, up from 72 last month. Durable goods we covered uh, plus 15.8. Manufacturing PMI near expansion 49.6. New home sales up 16.6%. So a lot of great sequential, a lot of beating data this week, and that's a good thing. Uh, this was the the steroid we talked about with Portugal. Already covered that. This is the high-frequency trade, uh, high-frequency data that everyone's looking at. Um, this is restaurant bookings. You're seeing those come off dramatically off the bottom. You're seeing uh, TSA checkpoints. I, I don't have the exact number this week, but it looks like we're getting close to 600,000. Maybe we hit that this week. It just keeps going up. Uh, Apple driving directions again, back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, foot traffic again. So these are just some of the things you can see. Uh, hoarding groceries at the supermarket is plummeting. More people are going out. Less people are scared. This was that New Jersey death death spike that I told you about where they booked all the deaths from December with flu-like symptoms as COVID deaths. So most people are discounting that. And then today was more realistic in line with trend. Um, Number 12, if you're on the podcast, if we run out of time, just go to hedgefundtips.com and watch the last, fast forward in the YouTube video, watch the last five minutes. I'll try to finish on time. Baltic Dry Index, 
Um, this is cool. This is a global trade, the pricing for the shipping, and you're seeing it totally recover, not just to pre-pandemic, but it's cooking now. The demand is there as countries around the world recover. Uh, similar type of situation in this multi-year rally, similar type of situation coming out of 2011. So a lot of good things happening there. Um, now, the Trump stimulus we covered. And finally, um, the Ask Me Anything question of the week from Brian D emailed me. Brian D said, question for your video cast. Tom, question for your video cast. This quarter has been a very, po very positive for stocks, e.g. NASDAQ 100 is up 37% or so since the beginning of April quarter. And uh, quarter end portfolio rebalancing is thus likely to be a net negative for equities. However, the extent of participation by large players is unclear. You mentioned many had stayed on the sidelines and had to chase. Uh, are you expecting portfolio rebalancing sell-off next week? And is there somewhere that retail investors can access, uh, access aggregate portfolio positioning information? Appreciate your analysis every week. Always interesting and insightful. B, uh, thanks for sending this in, Brian. This is a really good question. Um, and CNBC had a decent answer this week. And the answer is... It's a mishmash from all different banks reporting all different stuff. The most important document I look at for institutional positioning every month, which I cover every month, is the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. If you didn't see this month's survey, just go to the website and there is a search bar here on the right side. Just put in uh, Global Fund Manager Survey and you'll find that. That's the most important thing. Now. You also have the National Association of Active Investment Managers, so you see what their positioning is like. And then banks put out notes. So it's mostly they put it out to institutions, but every now and then that you, well, you can get that on a Bloomberg terminal or you can get it, um, some of the news outlets will publish that if you're paying attention. And usually I'll publish that in our daily read. So if you're on the daily newsletter, I put out like 15, 20, 10, five key reads a day, and oftentimes that data is embedded there and you can access it for free. So go to, in this case, um, to give you specifics and finish on time, there's an article on cnbc.com and the title is, there's a wave of selling estimated to be in the billions that's about to hit the stock market. And it goes through all the reports of the different banks. Goldman was betting on one thing from estimates ranging from 35 billion out of equities into bonds, 35 billion to 75 billion. My guess though, is a lot of managers are gonna want window dressing because you know, looking at the data, a lot of institutional sold at the bottom and didn't get back in in time. So they're gonna wanna show that they have some equities after a 35, 40% rally. Um, I found these to be completely unreliable as far as when one asset has moved so much in a particular quarter and everyone says, well, people are going to rebalance out of it. it. There's very rarely a high correlation because there's so much money sloshing around anyway. And you don't know what in international managers are doing on a currency basis. So, I, you know, just like the uh, other thing that we talked about um, with the with the options that that gentleman kept asking about, I wouldn't rely on it. I would look at it. It's just another data point that you keep up in your mind, but you got to make decisions beyond a week. If you don't make decisions on a weekly basis, long-term basis, guys, they handed you some opportunities this week with these headline sell-offs. There'll be more to come over the summer. 
take advantage, listen in, follow the information. I hope you found this helpful this week. Uh, grateful you listened in. We'll see you back next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for listening in.